you would continue to breathe your presence upon us. Father, we want to inhale and receive. We want to inhale and receive and partake of your spirit even more. We want to inhale and receive and partake of your beauty even more. We want to inhale and receive and partake of your truth even more. We want to inhale and receive your wisdom and your ways and your movement and your rhythms, the work of your hands, God. We are your clay, Lord. You are our most master, beautiful potter. And we can trust you. We can trust you to mold. We can trust you to form. We can trust you to make. We can trust you to do what you've said you will do. We can trust you no matter where we are, no matter what season we're in, no matter what process we're in. We can trust you because you are the master potter and we are your clay. And it's not by might, and it's not by power, and it's not by our own effort. It is by your spirit, God. And we delight in you, and I ask that you would continue to just enlarge our hearts this weekend to lay hold of you and to delight in you even more that more room would be made for your spirit, your nature, God. In Jesus' name. I have verses on my phone. Um, I typically... My own? Yeah, there we are. I, I will typically do like I just kind of throw verses out and quote stuff as I go um but I I don't often stop and say let's read this but there's a couple I don't know if I'm actually going to stop but you may want to if you're not overly familiar with them um it's a small chunk of Deuteronomy 4 if you just want kind of want to write them down or turn to them or whatever I'll just give you the the main ones that like if you're not overly familiar with them either during after whenever they're worth knowing about one is Deuteronomy 4 one is the last chunk of Revelation 3, and the other is the first chunk of Revelation 2. Um, but uh, just if you want to like make notes or have those. Um, and if you're ever like, where is this from? Or like I start quoting stuff and you're like, I think I've heard that. Welcome to come and ask me. I, I don't often memorize like addresses for scriptures. I just take text, but I can tell you where to find it usually. Um, I don't mind that at all. Um, my my favorite way to find verses when I'm truly lost is uh, consult the font of all useless knowledge. It would be an internet search engine. They because uh, you can quote, you can write anything, put Bible verse, and it'll spit it out. Um, I do that a lot, but the. Uh, but before I get too far in, I just I want to pray for a second. I said, Lord, thank you for just a wonderful time in your presence. And I thank you for just sharing yourself with us. Um, it's just been a nice morning. Um, and Lord, I ask you to help what I'm 
that you've given me to come out in a way that will really, I want to say be helpful, and maybe that's the word, I don't really know, but just have your way this morning with us. Um, thank you, Father. This is, when I was originally prepping this lesson, I had something the Lord kind of dropped on me. I was like, oh, that's good. So I just started running with it, and it was dry, like eating sand kind of dry. And I'd try it like five different ways, and it was still dry. And I'd, anybody like hearing dry, like chewing on dry? That is not my idea of fun. And so I'm like, Lord, I'm clearly missing something. What am I missing? And it was, a lot of it was like, there's a whole chunk of stuff I didn't want to do. And it was like, once I finally got over that, it's like, okay, there's life now. Um, I, I have found when we resist the Lord in one area, he'll often be like, yeah, have fun. But his little have fun is usually a little broader than our little area. Um, so it's kind of, I'm going to start where I didn't want to go. And, and I'll get into the stuff I wanted to get into. And as I've, as I've really prayed into this, I realize it's potentially very, very freeing and very helpful. Um, and I'll start in Revelation. I'll eventually get back around to Deuteronomy. Um, but in between chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation, um, what you have is Jesus has showed up in chapter 1 in some kind of incredibly powerful vision encounter and John is like, oh my. And he starts dictating these letters to seven specific churches in one little region in what is present-day Turkey. And he quotes them by the little city that they're in. And in each of them, they follow this basic pattern of, uh, hi, I'm Jesus, spoken with flowery language that's relevant to their situation. Um, and then, he, and then he goes into, here's what I really like about what you're doing. This is good. Here's what I am not so impressed with. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And here's what I suggest you do about it. And, and then he goes on to the next one. And they're like, blunt is a two by four. Um, some of them are like that kind of blunt rebukes. And some of them are really blunt encouragement and and some of them are an interesting mixture of the two and they are in 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 spite of their bluntness and almost harsh sound i think they are one of the kindest gifts recorded in scripture because you have a whole community of people trying to follow the lord and the lord basically says this is what's working and this is what's not you got my opinion on it I crave that personally. Not for like the approval, but like I really want to get to the end of my life and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I really don't want to hear, I really wish you'd just done this instead. Like that is not what I want to get when I get to the end of my life and we're talking. I, I would much rather have it now. You know, Paul has a statement. He's like, you know, a fire will test every man's work. Some people get the blessing of that fire in this life, though it's painful. You watch everything you did burn up, and you see what little is left behind. 
but it tells you what le what's left behind. That was the stuff that was actually important. And the next thing you do, focus on that. It's like, so this kind of makes some sense. We want to like dodge the fire. It's totally, you know, self-preservation is kind of programmed into our bodies. There's a certain reasonableness to this, but God in his mercy will bring it. And we can trust him with it. Well, this is one of those, it's like fire without being consumed. Um, it, it's kind of like free preview of what the fire will touch if you don't do something. Like this is as good as it gets for clarity on life. Um, and I've found that in, in my own life, most of the things that are most painful, it's not what I know that ends up hurting me, it's what I don't know. And worse yet is what I don't know that I don't know. You know the older we get, I think the more we kind of think that way. How, how many can follow that logic? The, uh, um, it's, so this is, like, it's a remarkably useful chunk of scripture. And it's one that... I think just about every church leader eventually gets down to is, is looking at this and it, it does get preached on pretty regularly. The whole rest of the book of Revelation, you know, it's everyone's kind of like, I don't know what to make of that, unless you have large charts and you make that as your side ministry. There's some people that do that. Um, but the uh, in this, in America, we have tended to major on the last of those seven churches. This would be the church of Laodicea. How many are familiar with this chunk, at least a little bit? Get a few hands. Okay, for those that don't, I'll give you the, the brief outline. Um, they're a church where they are financially well off and all things in the natural. They're comfortable. And he even says, you know, you say I'm, I'm rich and I'm wealthy and I have need of nothing, I'm, I'm in a good space. God has blessed me kind of thing. And, and, he's, and he looks at them, he's like, you don't realize that you're poor and blind and naked. <laughs> you know, right? I, I really don't think he was wanting to hurt them, but it was like, you really don't realize what's going on here. And then he goes on to a statement that gets quoted a lot, kind of, and it's, it's not ripped out of context to use it the way we use it, but it's, um, he's like, you're lukewarm. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And the actual word in Greek is like vomit. Like, it's not pretty. Um, if you can picture God Almighty doing projectile vomiting with his people, that's the picture. It's right after breakfast. Okay, this is how we put off lunch. More time to teach. <laughs> so, but like, it's like, that's the image that he's conveying. Um, the scripture about, behold, I stand at the door and knock, that's also in there. Meaning, he's on the outside of that church. He didn't want to be. He's happy to come in. He wants to have fellowship with them, but he's not having any kind of fellowship with them. That's, that's how far off things are. And how many have heard chunks of this preached on, referenced from pulpits, what have you, maybe even felt beat up by it sometimes. What I have found, this I noticed this when I was a pastor. I, we had, our church was interesting in its makeup. It, we had a homeless shelter. And 
people that end up in a homeless shelter in a rural setting, it's not usually they're just down on their luck. You get a few. Uh, you know, they did a lot of the right stuff and just nothing worked and they're out of options and so they're in a homeless shelter. Most of them, they've gotten out of jail and they have nowhere to go and no one will take them in. Or they have surfed every couch in the neighborhood and everyone's tired of having them. And so typically there's a lot of other issues that come with that. Not always, but it's often enough. Um, I, I can tell you some really crazy stories about some of these people, but they, they would come in and um, we would work with them and we would basically ask them, like, one of the things we would say is, you need to go to church somewhere, we don't care where. We have a bus that takes you to ours, but anywhere you go is fine by us. But, but you, need to, you need to be taking in something other than the world you've been living in. Um, and, and then, like, you don't have to convert to anything, but you just need to be taking something in. Um, and a lot of them would come to the Lord and start making some moves toward him. And it was really cool to watch the transformation. And I've watched this so many times. It's just, it is profound. I did not know how consistent God's working with his people was because you'd watch someone, the moment you would see them go, I get it. I really want to follow him. You would watch their life start to turn. It wouldn't just be a decision. Like, oh, I'm, I, I signed a decision card at the end of a service. It was like, you could start to see change and it would start going through. You could also watch, though, with shocking regularity, the moment they got a little too comfortable in that and said, uh, maybe it's not that important after all, they'd start, their whole life would start drifting back. This, like, staying attached to the Lord versus not, like, it would have full whole life consequences. It stunned me, the regularity of it. And it got so regular that, like, that just in the time, and it had been going on for years because this was the ministry. And a lot of them, their hold would go for months and years, and they would typically join our church. Well, you take someone in who's got major internal life issues, they've got years of possibly drug abuse, that does a number on the physical brain. And unless God heals that directly with a miracle, they still have challenges. So you get a lot of stuff I just it's an unusual thing and a lot of really really comfortable typical church Christians aren't comfortable in that environment so you have less of them um, so it's, a, it's an interesting group to minister to sometimes exhausting um, I really loved a lot of these people because they were very genuine um, I, it wasn't like I want to you know, paint it like it was all awful you, you would think that it really wasn't um, but when they had drama or they had trauma going on, it was bad. Um, the, so it, um, a lot of them, the drift when it would kick in, it was serious and it was like, it was scary watching some of them go through this. And there was a, one of the things that I watched with people when they were really like on that teetering edge and most pastors will tell you, they, they see this in their congregations. This is normal. It was just glaring to me. And is that when they get on that teetering edge, there's, there's huge consequences. And one of the first things they would do is they would excuse their sin. Like that was, all, that was the warning sign to me. 
wasn't that they fell into something. Oh, pastor, I, I fell off the wagon. What was the wagon? Heroin? Like, you know, like, which is, if you know anything about a heroin addiction, like, that was not the thing that scared me. What scared me is they were like, yeah, I'm going to get some heroin tonight. No. <laughs> That's a very different, like, the, those two situations. And so what I, what I found to my dismay is when I would try to address, and this was made a little bit worse because the church had a history of not directly addressing that issue, like not heroin per se, but the idea of like there are consequences to your actions. Like they were so grace oriented, like a hyper grace. Um, and so trying to teach on that, and like I had a burden to teach on, like there is a thing called judgment that's real. There are consequences that are real. Um, not to beat anyone over the head, but like it was that way. But what I found is when you had people that weren't teetering on the edge, they really just wanted to follow the Lord. If you teach on a the judgments of God or the fear of God or the you know you go to Revelation and you pick out the lukewarm passages, I would that you were hot or cold. What most people that really want to follow the Lord is you know when you give them a warning, they're like, "Is that me?" And there's there's a certain that's the soft tender heart. It's good that we do that. But we're quick to like hit ourselves upside the head. And I would, what I would watch, you know, a few days later, and I, I wanted to cry over it a couple of times. I would like preach my heart out trying to keep people from running off a cliff. And the crowd that was in no danger of the cliff, they were the ones that would take it seriously and go beat themselves up with it. And I'd be like, no, you know, it's like, and so in addition to all of like your church concerns as a pastor, I, I watched this and it was like a really hard line to walk a lot of the time. Um, and what I, I didn't have time to process it then, but in the years that followed, one of the things that came out of this is being able to accurately say, this needs correcting, but this is okay, is critical. Like, there are times we have to let ourselves off the hook because God's not putting us on the hook. And then there are times when he's like, no, I really want to deal with this, that we need to be like, okay. Like, that's what he's looking for. Um, so I want to start with Laodicea. Um, that group of churches, that seven group of churches, we have kind of taken them, and we tend to look at Laodicea in America. Lukewarm and... And I'm going to take that, that apart in a minute. What I want to point out is that that group of seven churches was in an area of the world the size of a postage stamp. They were a few miles from each other on a road. There was that much diversity in Turkey in the ancient world. There is more than Laodicea in the United States. It is entirely possible to have a ton of believers in the United States that don't fit Laodicea at all. Does this follow so far? What that means, all those warnings probably don't apply to you. All that beating up doesn't apply to you. 
It's not God's will for your life, and it's not what he's saying to you. Let me explain how you know if you fit in Laodicea. And it's the lukewarm is the easiest one to look at. It's the one that most often gets hit on. Lukewarm water is room temperature. You, you take a glass of water, doesn't matter what it is, what temperature it is, you put it in the middle of the room, you walk away for three days, and you come back. Whatever that temperature is, is lukewarm. Any temperature, not the environment, is not lukewarm. What God is looking for is a believer who on the inside is not the world around them. You can't look at a cup of water and tell whether or not it is lukewarm. You have to taste it. It's not doesn't have to be glaring. Now, if you if something is really, really, really hot and boiling, you can tell. Nobody drinks boiling water. Think about this for a minute. We'll drink hot water. It might have some steam rolling off it, but if I put it across the room, I mean, with my eyes anyway, I'm definitely not going to be able to tell. Um, you might could make out a little steam coming off of it. But like, it's, you're going to have to get up close to it, put a hand over it, you can probably feel the warmth. And if you sip it, you can definitely tell. Same thing is true of cold water. You can't tell cold water from warm water. And they were using like clay pitchers and um, wooden cups and stuff like this to hold their water. We use glasses um, modern day. If you put ice in a glass and you're in a humid environment, it'll get moisture on the outside. But if you put it in an insulating thing like clay or wood, there's a lot less of that. Israel is dry as a bone nine months out of the year. There isn't moisture in the air to gather on the glass. Like we're used to like, you put it out there, you got to put like four coasters under it. <laughs> you know, lest it like, forget rings on the table. It's like, I'm from Florida where it, it's even worse. Like, you, you guys know how this works, but you know, it's, it's pretty moist out there today. I mean, it's, and that's just normal for where in the world we are. Um, but my point is like, we're like, why am I lukewarm? Am I the fact that you're even asking that question without someone like dragging you into it is an indicator that you're probably not. You're passionate enough to take your entire weekend to just get away with the Lord and his people. To to go through the trouble of traveling, to to, to come to this camp, to sit in less than 100% comfortable chairs. Um, like, that's not lukewarm. I would venture to say, if God looked at the inside, you probably have people you're praying for and concerned for and asking him to move on. There's stuff you see in our nation that you cry out over. There's there's stuff that goes on. There's debates you have running with the Lord. It's There's a real life going on on the inside. And it may not be the life you want on the inside, and it may not be pretty. But I would tell you it's there. That's not lukewarm. Lukewarm is God's like, there's nothing. I, I, I can't even stomach this anymore. He willingly came into the room and shared his presence with us this morning. That's not nothing. Does, is this, how many could like sense his presence? 
Yeah. Um, and and but we have sort of taken this, and I, I think we have kind of beat ourselves to a pulp as a culture because there really are some lukewarm people and some people on the edge of that in America. There's a lot of people who go, "I'm a Christian." How do you know? Well, my grandparents were. No. <laughs> I'm a Christian. Uh, how do you know? Well, I go to church. And then, you know, the classic comeback to that is, well, I have a car. It sits in my garage. If I sit in my garage with my car, do I become an automobile too? <laughs> you know, I mean, really, a Christian is a whole new creature. Um, it's, it, and you don't, association doesn't hurt, but like that doesn't create that. Um, unless it's an association direct with God, that'll create all kinds of change. Um, yeah, he'll take you as you are, but it, I think it's just the substance of who he is. He doesn't really leave things that way. Um, so that's that. I believe many, and this isn't everyone, but I believe the issue when the church is looking at the people that are dedicated to the Lord, the one warning we ought to take seriously is the first church in Revelation. This is the one to Ephesus. How many know this one off the top of their head? Like, hold hands up. There's a few. Okay. That's actually a few more than I expected. The, um, like I said, Laodicea, like half the hands go up because, like, we're going to beat up with that one. We don't look at this one as much. Um, actually, you know what? I wasn't going to, but. I'll read it directly. Actually, does anyone have a translation that's more pleasant than like the New King James? Because that's what comes with my phone. What you got? Yeah, I'll take. Can I borrow that? It'll be a little nicer than what I'm. I can. Uh, uh, chapter two, verse one. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So it goes, to the angel in the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. The church in America has a ton of works. We work hard. We build ministries. We have outreaches. We... You know, there's, there's been focus before on feeding the poor and creating organizations to do that and take care of things. We've sent missionaries all over the world. We, we are champions of do. And he's not rebuking them for that. I'd like to point that out. This is part of the good stuff. Your patient endurance. We work when it's not fun. We work long hours at our regular jobs and still go work. Like, um, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. I don't know if there's been a people in human history that so freely debate doctrine. We have multiple seminaries, we train people, we do Sunday schools, we teach, and we debate what is and isn't doctrine, and we will split churches over it. Um, you know, the early church, one of the things that held them together was they held to the apostles' teaching. Well, if you're going to call someone an apostle, that's kind of an important thing to be clear on. You know, whether or not someone's like legit sent by God, like, we'll truly debate that. We get kind of nasty about it sometimes. Consult search engine 
pick the name of any minister. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like we do get nasty about it, and that's that part's not good. But like that, we really in a lot of denominations we don't tolerate what we perceive as falsehood well. Some of that's a righteous desire, maybe gone amok, but it starts from a good place. At least some of it does. Like, does this, does this follow? Again, these are strong points. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And this is in a culture that does not love us. And is seeming to get a little more not love us every day. And still, like, people persist. This is good. Um, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Some translations will read, you've, you have left your first love. I think, actually, I really like this term. What is this again? ESV. I need to start reading this. Um, my wife's telling me we have one at home. The, um, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So there's a shift in love. I'm going to drill down on this in a minute. Um, uh, that needs to happen. He says, I will come to you and remove your lamp. He's like, uh, okay, if not, like if you don't do that, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The lampstand, virtually every commentary I've ever bumped into on this, they all interpret it pretty similarly, which is that the lampstand is like the church's ability to minister and be effective in the earth. Some will call it a place of ministry or whatever, but it's truly effectiveness. You can have a fire on the inside, but you need someplace to put it so people can get the light. We're called to be the light of the earth. This is what he's talking to. It's like the ability to affect the environment around with all those good works. This is where I think this message becomes very, very timely for the church at large. How much do we work as a culture? How much does the church put effort into doing and building and making things happen? Meaning good things, in fact. How effective are we at discipling the culture as a whole and bringing it to godliness? Something is missing. And it's not to beat anyone up. This is the church, I believe, the Lord, in some respects, has, like, the greatest grief over in a, I love you, and I really want to help you, but I can't. Like, if there's a frustrated for, but not frustrated with, church in Revelation, I think it's this one. Because it's like you have all this energy and all this drive and all this desire and you do and you do and you do and you do good things, but I can't bless it. Because something critical is missing. You could lay down a lot of that stuff with the blessing, you could do 10 times as much. Um, there, there's some people I've heard, I forget the guy that did it, but he, he really, he loves to preach on Esther like one night with the king you know, can change your life. There's, there's a place where a little bit of favor from God can alter everything and no amount of work in life will do it. Um, this is where like the church has not really had the Lord's favor in our ministry. There are some ministries that have been effective. I, I, don't, I can't say it's prescriptive for all. We have 300 million people in the United States and an awful lot of Christians. It's just like you can over-apply Revelation. You can over-apply Laodicea. You can over-apply any of these. 
And if you walk out of here thinking like every ministry is messed up in this way, no, 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 no. But I think in the main, there's a lot of well-meaning people that have a heart that's pretty darn close to being in the right place. But it's, we miss this one critical thing I want to get into. Um, I'm going to get this phone back now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there we are. Um, but it's, I think the freeing aspect there's a couple of pieces. One is we don't have to beat ourselves up by being Laodiceans. Um, unfortunately, I think the beating ourselves up and saying, you're lukewarm. I think I'm lukewarm. I need to work harder actually drives us further away and more into the errors that are in Ephesus. Like that beating up hasn't done us any favors. And so I really, if I can get a point across before I go into the what needs to change, don't beat yourself up. That is not the point of this. Does this make sense? And it's there's entirely possible that what I'm going to talk about isn't even an issue for you personally, in which case be encouraged that you're on the right track. Is that, can we do that? Okay. Um, The, um, I'm going to give one more sort of side illusion, um, then I'll, I'll dig into effectiveness. Um, are you familiar with the story of Jephthah? There's a few, yeah. Okay, people that like the book of Judges. The, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Judges. <laughs> the, um, Jephthah is like, he strikes me as sort of an Ephesians-type character. He's been called to deliver Israel from the Ammonites. Um, and he's got some other issues in there, too. But the Lord has clearly called him and clearly blessed him and clearly equipped him. He has his own army to bring to the table and then gathers all of Israel's as well. And the Lord's presence is on him. And like everything, like it's he's about to go out the next day and utterly crush the poor unsuspecting Ammonites who deserve it. Um, and the, the day before the day of the battle, I forget the specific details. He's like, I need to twist God's arm because I don't know if he'll come through or if I'm good enough. And so he says, whatever the first thing is that come out, comes out of my house, because people would live with animals in their house. Great for warmth on a cold night. And, <coughs> He's like, the first, the first thing that comes out, I, I'll give you as a burnt offering. So he goes out that day, has a smashing victory, crushes the Ammonites, which is wonderful, gets home, and the first thing that comes out of his, his house, singing and dancing, is his only child, a daughter. My point in this is if you constantly push yourself to do and you constantly have like the the sort of am i am i enough am i doing enough you will start giving things to god that he didn't ask for you will start pushing yourself to give away things he didn't ask you to give away you will give your way your own legacy if you're not careful 
the one that he called you to have. God is multi-generational. Jephthah gave that away. And, and the Bible isn't really clear whether she was then dedicated to the tabernacle or whether she was actually burnt with fire. I don't know. Um, there, the commentators are pretty well split on that, and the text doesn't say. But she, it's clear that she had no children. That was the end of Jephthah's line. Done. Um, like, if I can, and, and when I go into like, here's what needs to change, if we try to take, here's what needs to change, therefore I need to do more, like, we'll end up being like Jephthah. Like, you have the freedom to do less. Um, and it's, it's okay to do less. Um, I, w I would rather, you know, do five intelligent things with the Lord's backing than, like, all of my own effort. Um, I, I'd rather have a few moments of God being like, yep, we did and we did and we did. It doesn't look like much. This is the kingdom. The seed is in the ground. Time is passing. And get to the point of actual fruit bearing a few times in my life and I knock knock myself out doing it, but like we get there and I'm not trying to overdo it and we get what God actually has to come out of my life than just constantly spinning my wheels trying to make something happen yesterday. Because like we live hurried as Americans. Um, you ever notice that God's not in a rush? <laughs> He's really not. Um, I find almost humorous <laughs> um, but he's he's not hurried he's not like oh, what I, I just can't see God on his throne saying that um, of course when you hold time in your hand like you, know, you can do that but the the reality is like our best friend holds time in his hands why are we rushing we don't have to do that it's a little bit like Jesus was like you know the why do you worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear or what you're going to say? Like, the pagans run after all these things. You don't need to do that. The, uh, okay. So actual, like, let's talk about love for a minute. He says, you know, there's this love that you had at first. When we first come to the Lord, life is really simple. Before was without Jesus. Now we have him and we start asking, well, now what? And we don't know a whole lot other than he loves us. And there's usually some thankfulness and overflow from that. And then, so typically we do stuff in return that's just, we love him and so we'll do a thing. We love him and we'll spend some time with him. We love him and we see the world around us and we realize he loves the world around us and so like we'll be nice to the nearest person to us. It's really, really simple. Not big projects, just because we haven't gotten far enough to do big projects. We're just here and like, well, now what? And it's you look at what's in front of you. take that as a thought I hit this from an, I'm gonna hit this from a few different angles and you can just kind of see the picture that starts to fall into place 
I find it really interesting when you look at the stuff that Jesus said gets remembered in heaven. And if you take it like literally and look at it straight up, you know, he says, even like a cup of water given to someone who's thirsty gets remembered. One cup of water to one person, you know they're thirsty because they're next to you. They're not halfway across the world. It's a simple personal gesture. Um, another one like this. Um, oh, yeah. Jesus says, you know, there's, there's this point where he's going to separate the nations like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And, and he'll say to the ones, like, you know, I, I was, you know, well done. I, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. And I was, I was in prison and you visited me. Um, you know, come and come on in. And they're like, wait, what? When did you do this? Like, when, when were you naked? And like, we're confused. <laughs> it's like, no, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Um, this is the same Jesus that also sort of rebuked Judas, who wanted to like give to the nameless poor that he didn't know. Um, you know, Mary comes in and dumps a bunch of perfume on Jesus like a year's worth of wages worth of perfume. And he was like, that's insane. We could have like fed all kinds of poor people. Jesus rebuked him. He said, the poor are always with you. I submit to you that he's not talking about the poor around the world. I submit to you that when he's talking about like with the sheep and the goats, he's talking to the poor people that you know that live on your own street or someone going through difficulty that's in your own fellowship or your friend that's struggling with something whatever it is they're struggling with, be it emotional or physical or natural or in your job or, or what have you. These are the people that I think he's pointing to because he said, you'll always have the poor with you. Like that's not going to change. Um, I hand that there. Another chunk. Um, I just lost my train of thought. That wasn't the sheep and goats. That was one thought. Um, oh, he said, the world will know that you're my disciples by the giant ministries you built. Wait, no, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Anybody know the quote? Because you love one another. Not you love everyone halfway around the world. Or you love all the people you've never met before. We can like give a ton of money to a charity and be like, yeah. And there's, it's great. It's a good work. But that's not loving one another. We can build a giant ministry and go and do some kind of major thing and try to fix something in society. It's some wonderful stuff to do. Not knocking that. But it's not loving one another. And to give you an idea of, like, it, it's a chronic issue in the United States that we are disconnected as a people. And the church has not set about to fix this in most places. And what's kind of 
the churches addressing that I have witnessed, and I don't want to speak for all, and I certainly don't want to speak for your minister here, but because I don't get the sense of this here, but is we'll call it a family and we'll call it a community, and that becomes part of the advertising. At best, it's an aspirational goal. At worst, it's called false advertising, which is manipulative, which the last I checked, manipulation is not a fruit of the Spirit. And this is why when believers, unbelievers will come in and they'll visit with us for a little while, they'll leave our church and they'll be like, yeah, a bunch of hypocrites. That's why. They want connection as much as anybody else does. And if they walk in and people aren't, and they might cluster and have a couple of clicks, but they're not really connected as a whole and there's no place for them to land and get connected as a whole. Like that was kind of it. Um, I'll tell a story, and again, this is not to beat up on the church. I, I really actually like this church. Um, but this is one that we we attended for a couple, like we attended there for like two years. And we joined like home groups and volunteered for stuff. And we did everything we could to network into the community because we wanted a community. That was our goal. Our goal was not to get a position in our platform ministry. We'd already done that. That wasn't much fun. Um, and it's just like want to be around some other believers and have them in our lives. And they were as friendly as can be and welcoming. They'd be like, hey, welcome, glad to have you here. And like, there's no further conversation. We'd start a conversation with them and we'd ask them some questions and there's no questions in return. Um, it was just like, huh. And that was, that's about the feeling, right? Um, and eventually the Lord led us out of that church. And like one Sunday morning, we just didn't go. Um, we actually, we stayed home and prayed together as a family. And it was like the best encounter with God we'd had in two years. Um, the, uh, and, that, and it was a church that really like focused on and prized the presence of God. That's, that was the kind of sad thing. But here's, here's what got really sad. Nobody called us that week or the next week or the week after that or the week after that or the week after that six months later one woman reached out to my wife on facebook that's personal and asked if we're okay and do you want to share what you said or i can't yeah, she um she just wrote asking, you know, just like, Are you okay, what's up? And I wrote her back and I just said, you know, I would love to get together with you over a cup of coffee and share with you, you know, where the Lord is and what he's doing in our lives. No response. Um, because you know, we we I I just very much I think part of it is just the conviction that the Lord had in my heart about it's about personal, it's about connection, it's about relationship and um, you know, I was happy to share with her what was going on, but I wasn't going to do that over a Facebook message. I mean, that's just, that's just, I didn't think that that was, you know, appropriate. But um, prior to that, I, I, if you don't mind, I, I'll, I'm going I'm to share this little thing. Because prior to that, nine months earlier, this is interesting because I think it's, it matters. Nine months earlier than this, I was praying and I was asking the Lord and I was like, I was like, I was really frustrated, to be honest. Like, I was just, we, we had been in this fellowship with people for, it was, it was a good two years or so. 
And like David had said, we had done everything that we knew to try to connect with people. And, you know, we were willing to serve and use our gifts in different ways. I would invite people, you know, over for coffee or what have you. And there was just very, very little response in that. And I was just frustrated. And I said to the Lord one day, I was just like, it's like, we're not even welcomed here. And, and he spoke back to me very clearly. And he was like, no, you are welcomed. And when he said it, of course, the weight of his truth, I was like, oh, yes, you are absolutely right, Lord. I'm so sorry. You're right. We are welcomed. I'm sorry. But this is what he said to me. He said, but you are not known, and you can't make people want to know you. And I was like, okay. And I was like, what, 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 what would you have me do with this? And he was like, you be you. You keep being who you are. You keep, if you have it on your heart to reach out to this person, you invite them, you reach out to them, and their response is their response. That's on them. But you be you. And, and whatever that looked like, I was like, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And walked that out for another nine months before he ultimately basically said, don't go today. Okay. And we had that awesome encounter as a family praying and, you know, enjoying the Lord. But it really, um, you know, there is something in the heart of God where he knows us and he invites us to know him. And he invites us to know each other. And he invites us to know who he is in one another. That's what I believe it means to be family. And, and to walk in love. And I believe that's the kind of love that transforms is, is when we are known by God, we know Him when we are known by each other and we know each other. And we can learn to honor the gift of one another and we can learn to see each other for who we are. Just as we learn to see who God is. I think there's great, um, freedom. There's a great joy. There's a great fulfillment. There's a great expression of the nature of Christ that's found in truth, that's found in the knowledge of God and found in the knowledge of each other. And I think that that is um, part of the foundation of, of loving God. The more we get to know him, the more we love him. It's a natural overflow because our heart is fascinated and it's like, wow, God, you're even better than I thought. And even after walking with you year after year after year after year, I keep finding out you are way better than I ever thought. Um, and that, that's part of, you know, even I've heard, you know, different preachers talk about, you know, when the angels are just saying, holy, holy, because they're just getting a new glimpse of who he is and how amazing he is. And they, they just go holy and there's an eternity and an infinite of, of, of who God is and his nature and us coming into the knowledge and awareness and, and reception of that. But I also believe that there's an invitation for that to be shared within one another. That there's, there's an invitation of getting to know. There's freedom and, and it, there, there's a freedom in, in knowing and when there's the heart of God and, 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 and the being able to honor and not condemn. God does not condemn our weakness, but we're pretty good at condemning each other's weaknesses. 
And I think we do that because we condemn ourselves in our weakness. And we don't have the heart of God for struggle and for weakness for ourselves, which is why we can't communicate his heart for the struggle and weakness of those around us. But the more we commit as a people to know him and know his heart and to desire to know the people around us and the heart that he has for them as well as for us and that beautiful exchange of fellowship, I think that's when we start entering into the reality of what it means to love one another and, 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 and the transformation that happens in the context of that kind of truth and that kind of heart. But it is rooted, I believe, in we first receive his heart. And as we receive his heart and as we get to know him, then, then we're able to freely give and really get to know each other. What are you sorry for? There's that condemning self thing again. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, actually, really happy you went into all that. The the first image the Lord gave me, it wasn't the first, but it was one of them. It was back before I finally went, okay, I'll talk about the other stuff. The um, But one of those that he first gave me is... It's one of the pictures of what the church is meant to be. It's Paul uses this illustration in a couple of different places that he says he talks about us being the temple of the Lord, that we are a temple, we collectively are a temple built of living stones. And it's a little bit gotten into the culture where people will talk about and say, we are the church, we don't go to church and we get kind of frustrated that we say we go to church and then get the Sunday morning Christian thing and all that but it's if you stop and look at the analogy for just a minute we are a temple built of living stones we are each stones the temple he's comparing it to is the the actual temple in Jerusalem it had some I won't go into all the stuff about how it was built I think you can possibly take the analogy too far but the couple of interesting quirks about it, or the one that really strikes me, is that the rocks themselves were each formed separately. They, they took them out of the ground, they worked them, and they, they worked them so they would fit together. Then they dragged them to the place and put them together without mortar. Big, heavy rocks fitting without anything between them. Think of that in terms of your closest friends. There's nothing between you. If there's issues, you work them out. You don't keep much in the way of secrets with your closest friends. The other side of the thing with the temple is a single rock doesn't touch all other rocks. They're close to the ones they're close to. There's a welcoming to the whole building and every one that comes in, you know, every rock that's there is connected to other rocks, several other rocks. But together it forms a network. But it's a network where, again, between any two rocks, they're legitimately close to one another. How many of you enjoy hanging out with your friends? That's what church life is supposed to be. 
that was God's intent, is that it would actually be kind of fun, um, that we enjoy hanging out with each other, that it wouldn't be a work. Because when you have joy, love isn't too far behind. The fruit of the Spirit is love, misery. <laughs> we turn it into a work, and then it's not joy anymore. Um, but it's meant to be, like, we're designed for this kind of connection. And, and that life would be enjoyed together. And that in that, there, there would be strength. Do you know the, there's a proverb I think we, mis, we misinterpret. It says, you know, as, iron, as uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The word is not sharpen. It's clanging. And the idea, this, this is sort of an alternate way of looking at this, is that it's meant to be, it's like a joyful sound. Like, we make each other's hearts merry. And Proverbs says, you know, laughter is, does, good like, does the heart good like a medicine. God didn't die for us so we could be overworked, misery-laden people who go out and try to love everyone with our last ounce of strength and we go home like, ah. <laughs> like that's not... That's not the fruit of his work in us. That's something else. If you actually have a community that's a community, people enjoy being together. So they keep enjoying being together. This is where the world will know. Y'all, those Christians, they're weird. They like hanging out together. And they're rather diverse. They, they like, um, I had the most healthy expression of the church I've ever been a part of. And it's something really odd. Happened to me by sheer accident when I was in college. There, I went through my freshman year and didn't really connect well with all the upperclassmen. And... For those that have been through college, it can be kind of weird and crazy. And so the freshmen aren't always the sanest people either. And I had a roommate, and he and I connected, and that was like it. That was my community of good friends, and the faith was one. And, and I guess at the end of that year, I was honestly kind of burned out and struggling. Like, I was still committed to walk with the Lord. It wasn't awful, but it was like, this is not living a life. <laughs> and I went over that summer and I I decided coming in the next year, I was like, I really don't want other people to go through what I went through. Um, and there are a couple of ministries that would try to do this on the campus anyway, but I, I made it my own sort of personal goals to find believers who needed friends because they're in a totally new world separated from everything and like help them land somewhere and find people. And I'm an introvert. For me, this is kind of out there. But I would just meet people and talk to people. And I started connecting people as quickly as I could. I'd be like, you would be really comfortable with that crowd over there. Go say hi. And I ended up with a lot of very friendly acquaintances and a couple of really good friends out of this. By the end of my sophomore year, I ended up with my own little community. And I wasn't looking for it. Which was really kind of cool. So now we have 
like a couple of sophomores and a bunch of freshmen that strengthened and encouraged one another. I did this again my junior year and had all my and encouraged my friends to do the same. Well, now our community is like 20 people. I've effectively, accidentally built a small ministry. <laughs> like, I didn't think of it that way at the time, but I look back and I'm like, yeah, we would call that a ministry and like bottle and sell that puppy. <laughs> and then um, my senior year, there was we had a whole bunch of different like Christian groups on campus that really did get along because we were all kind of stuck together on one campus. It wasn't a very large school. Um, there was a little bit of, it wasn't quite so small that everyone knew everyone, but we were probably two degrees of separation across the whole campus. It was about that, about there. And um, what finally happened is the, the leaders of the different campus ministries, of which I was not one, um, my senior year, I wasn't even really formally a part of any of them, I don't believe, at the time. Um, they they decided like we we should do a service together, like we we should like actually like all of us gather together. It'd be cool to have the whole body of Christ like together in one place for a little while and just see what happens. So like different people were like speaking and leading worship and well for a couple hours it was really cool. It got really really funny, and I I sat down and just I had nothing to do with the planning of this thing, nothing at all. And I watched every one of the speakers, and there were like five of them that were given 15, 20 minutes or something, and they would go and they testify or whatever else. I had counseled them privately in the last two weeks, every single one of them. And about half of them were repeating the stuff that I told them. <laughs> like, that it like it had hit them and they were just I just sat there and laughed. I was like, this is really entertaining. Um but that year um the the Lord finally like led led a number of us to actually do a thing other than just dwell and be and hang out together. Um we had a, like a prayer project that the Lord just pushed us into and it was all I can do is, without going into a lot of details, it was very sovereign and really, 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 God did a lot of cool stuff. But in the middle of this, we, it was the funniest thing because like we were all tied together and knew each other and like people would come to each other and there were a lot of stories of this where it was like, if there was a need, the Lord had already prompted someone, go to the store and buy this specific item and give it to this person who had the need. Um, I had one day, and, was, and this is like typical. I was like, Lord, I really feel discouraged today. Um, like, is there anybody praying for me? Because I am like wiped and worn out. And that evening I bumped into one of our people and she was like, you know, I was praying for you. And this is what she said, like, hi, I was praying for you today. And God said, and it's like everything I was like having an issue with. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but like that kind of thing was, there are a lot of people that had stories like that just happening left, right. It was the, literally like the closest I've ever witnessed to the book of Acts. And 
all that happened to build it was that we had a community. We did not have a formal leader. I kind of became the de facto leader during that little shift in time. But other than that, there was no real leadership structure. There was no formal doctrine. There was no formal, like we didn't have a church building with chairs. We, it was none of that. It was just, we were stuck in the same place at the same time, so we decided to get along. We, we would eat together because we had a cafeteria, um, and we would hang out, and we'd get together, we worship sometimes, and talk about the Lord sometimes, and we'd talk about Disney movies sometimes. I mean, it was not all spiritual. Um, you know, a couple of, each of us would like play each other in video games, and uh, there were a few chess people in there. Um, like, it was not overly spiritually focused. There was a definite, we all wanted to follow the Lord. Like, that was a clear, that was why we got along. Um, it was a shocking set of diversity across the campus um, in terms of, like, backgrounds and whatever else. Um, my favorite sort of spiritual background thing is we had one girl that was raised Catholic and was dedicated Catholic, loved the Lord. Um, the clearly baptized in the Spirit without knowing any of the doctrine. Um, I, I I had one day I was walking along outside and I I, I would go and walk around all over campus at night and pray because it was quiet. And I stumbled into this one spot and I was like, this feels like, and it was literally like a couple of trees, but like in the air it was like, this feels like her. The peace here is palpable. Like I was like, I walked into something and it was like, Pfft. and I, I later I was like, do you happen to pray outside? Oh yeah, where do you pray? That's the spot. Catholic, still Catholic. We had another guy, he grew up on the mission field as Baptist. His parents were persecuted by local Catholic priests. They're married. <laughs> I was at their wedding and it was watching the two sides. Like It was like reconciliation, it was beautiful. But like when you just get together and like lay everything else down, like we didn't have formal stuff to do. Just we hung out, eat together chill, love on each other. Like, doing works for one another isn't a work anymore because you're connected to them. This is like when Paul's like, and we laugh at those who laugh and we weep with those who weep and, you know, like when one's hurting, we're all hurting. Like, if it's the people that are close to you, that's exactly what happens. You don't have to work at that. It, it doesn't become a, you should. Anybody ever had some of that preached at him as a, you should? Get that just a little bit kind of message, even if they didn't pronounce it that way. I, I became convinced of something. I think the word should comes from the devil. Oh, I'll tell it. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not going to say that, but um, that it comes from the devil. I don't know where it comes from, but I would. This is something many, many years ago. No. <laughs> this was many, many years ago. I was just sitting with the Lord, and really what he was dealing with me at this time was um, like 
all the performance and all the expectations and all the external that was motivating me that I had no idea I was responding to. And he spoke. We were raised in that too. Yes, we were raised heavily in that. But the Lord just spoke to me so plainly one day. He said, should is not a word in my vocabulary. And he said, I don't want it in yours. And I was like, what? And then I went on the rest of the day and I was stunned because in my own thinking and in my own perspective, that word should was like in everything. Oh, I should go do this for this. Oh, I should, da 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 da. He should. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, and it, and it, it One of my just. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, that is very true. That is very, that is very, that is very, that is very true. Yes. But it, I didn't realize how much was not coming from just an internal heart response to the Lord or even to the person in front of me. Um, and I didn't realize what a hindrance that was from me connecting with God as he is and really even forming a connection with the person in front of me because I already had all these ideas of what I should be or what it should look like or what he should or, you know, that it's a, it's a horrible word. Um, and it was one of those words that, you know, the Lord took me on a process still, you know, years and years and years and years of what are you responding to? Um, and often in terms of even relationships with one another, we're not actually responding to the person in front of us. We're responding to something else that's going on. But the invitation is to come to that place of humility and that place of security in the Lord where we can truly respond to the person in front of us. And we can truly respond to the Lord who is in us and to the Lord who's in the person in front of us or who's present around us. And it's that that learning to be, um, that learning to be with the Lord as we are, as he is, that learning to be with each other in all of our imperfections, in all of our frailties, in all of our shortcomings, knowing that God does not shame us for that, knowing that God's not sitting there beating us over the heads but he has an invitation always. He's always inviting us into something more. Like there's there's always more of our design to discover. There's always more of his life to discover. There's always there's always more. Um, and as we learn to be with him and legitimately be with each other, I think that's where the true nature of Christ has its place to be communicated and to be expressed. And where I think love takes on that whole, you know, um, love does not fail. You know, what is love? It's patient, it's kind. It's not keeping a record of wrongs. It, 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 it remains. It endures. It hopes. It protects. And being able to honor each other from that place of, of being and dwelling and not, not being so motivated by, I've got to go do this. Or I have to do this for you, or I need to do this for you, but much more out of a sense of from the inside out, from the heart, and from a place of connection, where the yoke is easy and the burden is light. 
even when it does cost something. Because let's be honest, there is sacrifice involved, and and there is a place of, um, you know, I, I think of like with my babies, like they were up in the middle of the night, like all the time, and especially for me with my youngest um, at that at that season, like I was in my that car accident where I could barely able to walk around the block for three and a half years. And so being up in the middle of the night with her was really hard. But yet I found God in the middle of it because that was the nature and design. Like when we get to the nature and the design of who God is and where he is and how he's created us to be, there, there's a flow, there's a grace, there's a rhythm. And I think a lot of that is rooted in being. And, and in learning to love one another well, it's learning to be with each other. And, and when we can learn to be, I think we find healing and we find wholeness and we find that strength that we're meant to have by being with each other and by being connected. Um, and of course, you know, the love of the Lord and who he is is at the foundation of that. And when others encounter that, that's when they're like, I know he's real. Like, because you function in a way that is so contrary to anything I've ever seen. Like, I really believe that's our design is the bride and body of Christ, and it's the friends of Jesus. And it's not something we're striving to do. It's not something we're trying to accomplish. It's not trying, something we're trying to do. It's something that we just are in him because we've given him place. We've given him room. We've given him our hearts. We find our delight in him. And because he's the anchor and the foundation of everything, then we can move out from that and how we interact with each other. The, there's a verse that comes to mind out of Genesis. Um, it's kind of a principle when God created the world. He's got trees and animals and things. And, and there's a, I forget the actual phrasing because I'm not looking it up right now. But the, the principle is that like things produce after their kind. Like apple trees produce more apples. That have seeds that grow up to be more trees. And you know, ferrets will have ferret babies, not rabbits. Um, and you just, you can apply it everywhere. The, it's true spiritually as well. And this is why I go back to Ephesus for a minute and all the striving, why the Lord won't bless it. If you create a world around striving, even if it's striving for good things, but it's striving, and the Lord blesses it, and he's just created the most fantastic vehicle for multiplying striving in the earth. This is why there's, I believe there's the withholding of the lampstand in that case. As he, he wants an end to the striving. The curse is toil. Toil and pain and suffering to produce anything. Um, you know, for, for man, it was you know, after, right after the fall. From dust you came to dust you'll return. You're going to you know, toil by the sweat of your brow. You'll produce anything. Like, you know, it'll be enough to get by on. And, and to woman, like, if you're going to multiply, it's going to cost you. You know, and even with a lot of modern medicine to help that along, they're I think every woman has horror stories. Like, it's 
None of that process is easy. That's the curse at work. That's not what God has called us to. Like, it wasn't meant to be pain. Um, what I find really, to, to draw that statement a shade further, when you get uh, Cain and Abel and their offerings, you know, Abel's was received and Cain's was rejected. And there's some stuff you can read between the lines on there with first fruits and whatnot and faith. But I think the reason, one of the reasons that Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not, you know, um, Abel's offering was animals. Cain's was like produce. And God was like, animals, good produce, bad. He didn't actually say that. But just a chapter before, he had said, anything you pull out of the ground is going to be by the sweat of your brow. It's the result of the curse. It's your effort. Everything Cain brought was works. It was the fruit of his work. Fighting with the ground and its thorns and thistles and weeds and everything else to make it do something useful. And it's, it's a nice gift, but God's like, I don't need that. He wants relationship. With Abel, you have animals. You can't make animals produce more animals. Like you can't control that. You can keep them healthy. You can do some stuff for them, and you can take care of them, which is what he did. But like, there's a cooperative aspect that's that's very different. There's a from Abel's perspective, it's I'm giving back some of what God gave me. Do you see the difference? Um, the when you get to the priests, they that were they were meant to be a sort of a type for Christ as well as a type for Christian ministry in the earth, because we are a kingdom and priests to our God. That's not a revelation. They were the priests in the old covenant. If you look at their clothing, they weren't allowed to wear anything in doing their service that made them sweat. Had to be linen, a light, very breathable garment. God didn't want them doing what they did out of work. God gave animals to people. They give animals to the Lord, and the priests were meant to facilitate that. That was, that was their designation. Um, and it's meant to be that way for us. Like If we're going out, sweat of the brow, and it's not what he called us to. Um, this, this is why I go back to the design of the temple. The stones, community, it's meant to be joy. Just receive it as such. The thing, if I ask you for something as homework, for, for a thing to ponder and chew on. Chewing code. If you're at a place where you're like overflowing a full of life and you're not tired, then you can probably skip this. But if you are, like I find myself off and on, you feel tired and tapped out. One thing to ask is the stuff that you're putting toward your energy toward, is there anything in there that you're doing out of works? Is there anything you're doing in there because it's, it's a should? It's a, it seems like the right thing to do. Is it really what God's called you to do right now? You know, presumably... We want to love our neighbor more and better. And it's not going to work well if we're exhausted. 
I mean, yes, we can we can give when it hurts, and there there's a love in that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's it's a good thing on its own, but it's not meant to be the whole of our lives. We get home. That's not that's not life. But I I want to encourage you in in the retreat. It's a good time to sort of reassess things. Ask the Lord: Is there anything I've got added to my life that I'm giving? Like Jephthah, I wasn't called to give. Is there anything I'm pushing for that's beyond like? Yeah, it may be a good thing, but it's not God's prescription right now. Or I'm doing it because it looks like it's the right thing. Or maybe you're doing it in a way that's beyond what it should be. I mean, sometimes do a good thing and you can overdo a good thing. None of us have ever done that. But, yeah. um, but I, I just, in, in our process of chewing with the Lord, ponder for a while like what's he really asked me to do and when i'm out of stuff he's asked me to do how can i enjoy life with his people especially if you find yourself not really enjoying life with his people because again his intent was love joy peace patience you know like the need for patience is fourth down on the list how many that's Honestly, the first one we kind of struggle with, like, it might be retired in a way that God didn't call us to. I, I can't guarantee it for all. I don't want to, and you can overdo anything. I just, God wants you free, and he wants you full. I'm going to pray. We're going straight to lunch. Lunch ready now. Is lunch ready in 10 minutes? Is, what are we looking at? Wait, what now? We're going to go make lunch. We're going to go make lunch. Well, it's 11.50 now. What time will we be? 11.52. <laughs> 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 How are we interact? How, what time do you think? Um, is Jen in here? Yeah. Food class? Well, I think we mostly have to like chop things, cook meat, and write. So 12.30? No rush, no pressure. I mean, it's... Okay. Yeah, I was I was asking because I was like, should I pray over the food now? I'm like, wait, no, hold on, <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves. But the uh, yeah, one is just fine. Okay. The um, yeah, we're 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 happy to go with the flow. That's that's totally fine. The um, do you have anything else? Okay, you got last thing. It's the last thing. Um, just, uh, I just, just, just a sense of just wanting to honor you all and um, the community that you are. Um, and obviously, I, I don't really, you know, I haven't had time yet to really get to know you, but just kind of one of my senses is just that um, God is being given room to be your potter. He's being given room to cultivate what he wants to cultivate. Um, and that's that's very special. And so I just kind of want to honor the special nature of your gathering and, and who you are as people. Um, the love and the heart that you do have for one another, as well as the expanding love and the heart that you have for one another. Um, giving each other room to be where you are, to be who you are. 
um, to come and go, even with the kids being able to come and go and, and be free. But um, it's very special for us to be here with you. And so I just wanted to you know, honor you and thank you for that. And just to kind of um, just affirm that I, I do believe there's something very special and, and rare and unique that God is cultivating. Um, and I, I think cultivation is such a good word. Um, and even the picture of like God, God is a gardener and his hand being in the dirt. And I could just get a sense of his hand is in the dirt. His hand is in the soil of your lives. His hands are in there. And like what might be messy, I mean, some people love to garden and like get all messy and others maybe not so much. But I really believe God loves being a gardener and he loves having his hands in the soil and even fertilizer. You know, he, he's, he's great with fertilizer because that makes room for something more beautiful and, and, and what it is that's being cultivated. So just want to, um, honor that you are a very special, um, community and that he is cultivating and, um, giving room and, and giving place for him to just nurture what he wants to nurture and grow what he wants to grow, um, is rare and beautiful. I just want to pray a blessing and then you can scatter and rest and then we will eat. We will chew the cud. <laughs> maybe, maybe a more appetizing way than that's actually done though, but uh, uh, Father, I thank you. I thank you for today and I thank you for this time and I thank you for this group and I thank you for your freedom. And Lord, I... I am asking that you would just form in our hearts the knowledge of what it means to be free and what it means to stand for that freedom and to guard that freedom on the inside. Um, that we would, we would live free and that we would live joyously free and that when the pressure of our world comes to put something on us, our, our response would be, no, that's not what God has for me. That is not part of God's plan for my life right now and we would know it and we'd be okay with that and that when people try to guilt us into something we would recognize trashy stupid hurtful manipulation for what it is instead of making room for it that we would you would form in us the knowledge of your freedom so much so that it just it's our default that we would know your peace and your freedom together where your spirit is there's liberty there's freedom and that we would get comfortable there. Um, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you for what you do in our lives. And we just bless you to keep doing it. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.